Allegorical Life. This is the podcast where we discuss the metaphors of life, leadership and everything in between. Welcome back to another episode of The Allegorical Life. My name's Jordan and as always, I'm here with Mark Croswell. By way of introduction for those of you who don't know Mark, he's worked in crisis security and emergency management for over 30 years. His experiences, both personal and professional, have taken him into the world of philosophy, often intersecting with the worlds of theology and mythology. Mark often talks both nationally and internationally about these intersections and how they shape the way we think, speak and act. He talks about the ways that they can influence both the quality of our leadership and, more importantly, the quality of our lives. Mark, welcome back. It's great to be chatting with you again. Uh, Today we're talking about the insatiable curiosity of all mankind to explore the unknown. Now, Mark, this episode's based on a piece of writing that you recently put up on the Allegorical Life blog. Uh, And really what you were talking about there is the Apollo 11 moon landing. Uh, and how much detail you remember from that day, even though you were so very young. And my question for you is, do you remember how you felt? I had just turned five, uh, having um, joined school at kindergarten. But even uh, 50, I can still remember that feeling 50 years ago of being absolutely um, awed by the experience. I mean, as a five-year-old, you don't really understand you know, too much about the world. But, but it was still so inspiring, I think, to see this thing up in the sky at night time, which seemed as a five-year-old to be so far away. And then to understand that, you know, three men were in a, in a essentially an aluminium tube um, making their way to the moon. I mean, it was just uh, incredibly inspiring. Um, it was an exciting day for the school. They suspended all lessons. Um, the, the teachers uh, very kindly brought in their black and white TVs. There was no colour TV in those days. And... And the screens weren't particularly big either, just quietly. And they made us all sit down in front of the TV and watch the unfolding events. And um, when there was a bit of a delay, when um, they were still trying to find a proper landing site, I think they let us out into the playground. And, uh, you know, we went out and played for a couple of hours and then we came back in and, you know, sort of witnessed history. And um, and it was just that general uh, sense of excitement. The teachers made it a special day. It was a special day, of course, in in humankind, uh, in, in our modern society. And it really left, uh, an indelible print, uh, imprint, I think on most of our, most of our memories. So, um, it was, it was big, even for a five-year-old, it was big. And, and that's why I said in the blog, I can actually recall what I had for lunch because it was such a significant day. Uh, and it's just imprinted on our memories for, you know, until we die. So, uh, a very, a very impressive man watching the, the documentary, uh, and there's a lot of footage of the three of them, um, how impressive they were as leaders uh, and as people, I think, that, you know, had the courage to to really go where nobody had ever dreamed of going up until about 10 years before when John F. Kennedy put the challenge out there back in 1961, I think it was, to, you know, that the US would make its way to the moon before the end of the decade. And and um, and these men achieved that. And, and uh, they were so humble about it. I think they were... Uh, incredibly professional and generous, and and calm and collective, and and facing enormous risks and and uh, uh, and um, fears and so on and so forth, and, and managed to push past all of that. And and I think the other thing that I sort of particularly realised when I watched the documentary was how many people were behind them, uh, how many people got behind them, and made it happen, you know, I've said for a long time, take tennis as a simple example, you know, the number one 
tennis player in the world is only number one because of the 10 million people who play tennis in the world. And if 10 million people didn't play tennis, there would be no number one tennis player. Um, the same analogy can be drawn with um, uh, the astronauts that made it to the moon, that they only got there because of the incredible generosity and insight, sheer dedication and commitment um, and single-mindedness of, of so many people that, that joined the program and made it happen. And when you stop and think about it, that is true of every circumstance in our lives. So we're not self-made. We're certainly not self-made, but, but success to any of us, uh, particularly material success, but also spiritual success or emotional success or cognitive success is as a result of the generosity of countless numbers of people. And I think uh, Apollo 11 really exemplified that for the world to see and, and did it understand that. Um, I think on some level we did, but I don't think we necessarily appreciate it now. So uh, we live in such an individualised world and you know, a world full of pursuit of self. And I know I talk about this in every podcast, but I just think it's fundamental to, to certainly my philosophy, um, is that we don't get anywhere without the generosity of other people. We just don't. And and so frontiers of any description really are are, are available to us because of the generosity of others. So, so Apollo 11 was an extraordinary example of generosity, of dedication, commitment, uh, unity, single-mindedness, uh, sense of purpose, uh, sense of meaning, all of those things which are really important to humanity. So that's I think that's why we still remember it. I think it triggers those sort of uh, thoughts and feelings in our minds that um, that that inspire us and, and why shouldn't they? I mean, you know, they're, they're great things to do. And Mark, do you think frontier conquering is part of our human DNA? I think it is. I think we're naturally curious. And it's interesting, when I um, did my PhD research, I surveyed a lot on um, virtue ethics and ethics of kindness and compassion, well-being, consideration, empathy, and so on and so forth. And I left a space for other. And I said to people, you know, is there any other ethic that you think is important um, in your life? And and not frequently, but, but frequently enough for me to... to um, be drawn to it was this ethic of curiosity and uh, a few people said look without curiosity really um, you know life becomes very boring and very mundane and I was watching a TV program the other night with Ando and Tina Arena and Ando um, has a, a program where he paints a portrait of a, of a of a person that's known in community or society and even Tina Arena raised the point she said you know life is nothing without curiosity and that word curiosity came up in my PhD interviews um, a, a reasonable amount uh, in the context of other ethics that you know perhaps weren't quite so popular or, or quite so well known. And when you stop and think about it, it is curiosity that moves us forward, that helps us to learn and to explore and to understand. And without it, life is incredibly mundane. And I think if we don't have curiosity in our minds, if we're not stretching ourselves uh, on some level in some frontier, I'll give you a simple example, my, uh, and I'll reference my, my dearly beloved mother who uh, struggles with Parkinson's and other uh, constraining mental health challenges. She decided the other day that she was going to walk, and she can barely walk, but she's going to walk 30 metres up the road and back every day um, to get some fresh air and exercise. Um, now, she's almost immobile. She's got a, a walker and needs a wheelchair often, and it's quite unstable on her feet, but... <laughs> And, and she turns 80 next year, but 
But there's a frontier for her, and it's a 30-metre walk up the street outside the front door. And just that, that sense of adventure or that sense of drive to walk 30 metres and back is a frontier for her, a physical and a mental frontier. But it also motivates her and, you know, keeps her sprightly as, or as sprightly as she can be at least. And it's really impressive. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm going I'm to take this privilege of really honouring my mum today, but but with such a such a, a physical and mental constraint that's based upon her health, the frontier that she's prepared to conquer, and that's walking 30 metres up the road. Um, so I think curiosity is part of that uh, frontier, uh, being curious, you know, pushing into spaces that we may not be comfortable with or we don't fully understand or that we don't think we could otherwise achieve. Um, I think that's what curiosity does. I think it, it works with our determination and our motivations and so on and so forth and moves us forward. So to be curious enough to go to the moon, I think, was a great example of what, again, we're capable of taking a thought, uh, taking an intention um, and a motivation and turning it into a reality. And when you stop and think about it, that's what we're doing all the time, that the, the world is not predetermined or predestined in, in one sense. I think philosophy would argue that, of course, particularly for deterministic philosophies, ironically, such as Buddhist thought, but let's leave that alone for now. Um, so, so we create our future by our intentions, our will, our aspirations, our curiosity, um, and to seek meaning and purpose. And that's how we create our world. That's how we move forward. So really, frontier is fundamental to that. And if you take the notion of frontier away, um, then really, we're just existing. We're just functioning and existing, but for what purpose? And I, I remember when I had the great privilege of talking to Jeb Bush as part of my PhD research, who's the brother, of course, of the former US President George Bush, he said, Mark, um, you know, without meaning and purpose in your life, then you're simply just transacting with the world. And, and, and particularly as a leader, that if you don't understand the ground by which you stand upon, particularly your ethics and your values, if you don't know what they are, if you don't take a stand for those, if you don't operate through those as you lead, then you are simply transacting and, and you miss the point of leadership and you miss the point of meaning and purpose. And uh, so I think curiosity and frontier is very much a part of helping us to um, establish in the world what is it that we stand for, what is it that we believe in, what is it that motivates and drives us from an ethical perspective and how does that play out in real terms? How does that play out in our lives and how does that play out in society? So um, so I think it's uh, frontier is fundamental really, um, but often discounted in society I think as, as being too hard, you know, too difficult, um, a lot of people want an easy life, I think. Not everyone, of course, and most people don't have it anyway. Um, but I, I, it's hard to find necessarily the the enthusiasm and the energy and the inspiration such as the Apollo 11 mission in today's society. Uh, I think we're incredibly fractured and individualised to the point where we've lost that, uh, well, we're losing that collective dream or vision to to push into frontiers that we need to discover. And I think that's why my blog, I said, look, the chances of any of us really, you know, uh, un understanding or appreciating heading off to Mars within 10 years, it's probably pretty limited really, but but the frontier of knowledge is something that's available to everybody. And the extent to which we're prepared to push into that frontier of knowledge, you know, personally and, 
and collectively I think is questionable in today's society. You're listening to the Allegorical Life Podcast. And Mark, there are obviously challenges with any frontier. What do you think are the challenges that we're up against when it comes to the frontier of knowledge? Well, first and foremost is our ignorance, of course. And um, and it sounds like a harsh word, but it's it's endemic in the minds of people, so of humans. So it's not in it's not an inherent, certainly not an inherent quality, but it is endemic. So it's it's kind of like a stain on the mind or a, or a delusion or a attribute that's not helpful. So we have to push through it every day on some level. Every day on some level, we have to push through ignorance. So. So we'll be ignorant of the circumstances of the suffering of another person uh, in the workplace or at home or wherever, really, because we don't understand the full context or circumstances by which that person is experiencing something and why they're you know, speaking and acting in the way that they are. So there's an ignorance there straight away. Um, so we don't necessarily listen well. Um, I think there's a general laziness in society about finding out the truth of something. So I think there's uh, popularism and subjectivism uh uh, ideologies or grand narratives that are rife in Western society at the moment. Um, people will uh, take a, a, a highly distorted fact and make it a truth pretty quickly because it suits their argument without necessarily understanding the basis of that truth or whether it's in fact even true at all. Um, and that's playing out you know, right up to the, the level of global politics and I tend to avoid political conversations in these podcasts. But but there's enough commentary on it about US politics and uh, about the, the taking of a notion of of, um, uh, of an idea uh, or a sentiment and turning it into a truth. And I think they call it the post-truth era. So so we've got to push past all those things, and, and I think that works against us. Um, uh, we're in such a rush, of course, which was the previous podcast we talked about. We don't have time to discover knowledge in the true sense, so I don't think and. We don't really take the time to understand what's really true for us and what's true for others. Um, so I think those are all impediments that stop us from being curious and prevent us from that frontier of knowledge. Um, I would say that it's good to slow up a bit and to, to try and understand a little bit more profoundly or deeply about the ways of the world and why we think the way we do and why the world is the way the world is. Uh, there's no simple answer to any of that. In fact, there's probably no answer to any of that, really, but it's still worth contemplating. And so the frontier of knowledge is about the, the wiser we become, ironically, the happier we get. So Aristotle talked a lot about this, uh, the notion of practical wisdom and human flourishing, um, eudaimonia and, and phronesis. And uh, the Buddha talked about almost the same thing, about moving towards a greater wisdom of life also moved you towards your happiness. And I think it's fundamental that we uh, use curiosity and the, uh, the notion of the frontier of knowledge to dispel our ignorance, to move us towards a greater sense of purpose, meaning happiness and wisdom. And really that you get that chance every day through life experiences that turn up some pleasant, some neutral, some unpleasant. But all of them are beneficial. All of them uh, will help you to understand the nature of life, uh, who you are as a person, what you stand for, what you believe in, what you will and won't tolerate, and most importantly, how you help other people in the world, how you interact with society more broadly, what's your contribution, 
what, what, you know, what are you here to do in order to aid and assist others on their spiritual pathway of which you are also participating. So they're kind of fundamental, I think, and the frontier of knowledge for me certainly is to to encourage people to explore those deeper questions about, you know, why, why are you here? What are your gifts? Um, what are you here to learn? Um, uh, what do you stand for and what do you believe? You know, they're big questions, but, but that's kind of what shape, those questions help to shape our life and move us towards our happiness and, uh, and our human flourishing. And Mark, how much is Frontier Conquering a collective social activity and how much is it a personal inner journey? I think it's both. I think um, it's definitely a reflection of the inner journey and it's really important that we do that. It's important to understand who we are at the higher level so we can identify ourselves through our egos and our desires and our wishes and our frustrations and our dissatisfactions and and that plays out a lot in society. A lot of social media commentary is about exactly those things. A lot of commentary in the public sphere on talkback radio and TV programs, for example, is dealing with that lower level dissatisfaction all the time. And uh, it's insatiable, it's unresolvable, and, it, and it, it, it will, it's a constant perpetuation of the suffering of humanity, really, on some level. And I, I don't mean to be too cynical about it, but there's not a lot of joy there. But if you lift it up, um, and you, you ask the bigger questions, then I think it becomes a lot more relevant. So I think it's important to reflect uh, on the inner journey and the inner conversations and what those things mean more profoundly. But in so doing, it must necessarily uh, move towards a contribution to other, to other people, to society, to your world. Whether your world is to take my mum as an example, is my father and her children and grandchildren, and that essentially is her world. And her physical world is constrained by her her home in the retirement village and 30 metres up and back, you know, and the, uh, outside on the road. Um, but it's still important to her. So, so I think um, the inner reflection is important, but the inner reflection in the context of the benefit for the greater good for the greater humanity, for, for the world, however you describe it, however it presents to your consciousness. Um, and those two things operating together, I think, uh, help us to navigate the complexities and the difficulties, but also, I think, get us out of bed in the morning to be straight up about it. I think, um, you know, what motivates humans to get out of bed? Well, there are many things, of course, um, most of it motivated by some level of desire, but I think there's also curiosity and the need to do, do something different or do something for somebody else. And that, that plays out a lot. And we, we, we do do a lot for other people. We just don't necessarily appreciate that that's what we're doing because we're a bit caught up in our own minds. But um, So I think the frontier, Jordan, is knowledge. I think it's getting to understand and know ourselves better, uh, more deeply, more profoundly, about who we really are, what we stand for, what's important to us, and how that helps other people. Because we're all on, if to be Buddhist here, we're all on a karmic journey. We're, we're all here to help each other get to a better place over time, um, you know, a place that's not, uh, that is purely allegorical and metaphorical uh, in the Buddhist sense called Nirvana, in, in Christian or Abrahamic faith sense called heaven. Um, these are wonderfully blissful states of peaceful mind, um, not necessarily physical places, and I don't wish to unpackage that theological argument today, but but if you stop and think about it, that um, really we are the authors of our story, the architects of our lives, to, and and we shape our happiness or our sadness or our suffering 
largely contingent upon the way we think, speak and act. So, so getting to understand that better through a frontier of knowledge that helps us to move us forward in association with benefiting other people, I think is very useful and is really the greatest human frontier you can ever take on. for joining us today on the allegorical life if you're enjoying our podcast you might like to add a review on itunes and that'll help other people find us as well thank you and we hope to have you with us again soon